We always approach the preaching of God's Word by asking Him to shine His light on us so that we would rightly understand it. And so let's go before our God and ask His Spirit to open His Word to us. Let us pray. Make known to us Your ways, O Lord. Teach us Your paths. Lead us in Your truth and teach us, for You are the God of our salvation. Lord, You are good and upright, therefore You instruct sinners in the way. You lead the humble in what is right and teach the humble His way. Instruct and lead and teach us by your spirit through your word so that we may see Jesus. And hear us, for we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here today. We've been considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to chapter 4. You'll find that on page 1067, most of our pew Bibles. Mark is the second book of the New Testament between Matthew and Luke. So Mark chapter 4, we're beginning our reading at verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 20. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you, it has, been, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and and a hundredfold. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Um, as we've gone along through the book of Mark, we've observed a couple times the comment that one person made that this is more a book about the works of Jesus than it is about the words of Jesus. Uh, if you compare it to the other Gospels, they contain much more of what Jesus taught, uh, many more of his discourses. Mark has taken more time to talk about what Jesus has done, uh, the works of Jesus. Uh, but even when you make a comment like that, it's more about words that, or works than words. Uh, we know it doesn't mean Mark never talks about the words of Jesus. And here we have an extended discourse on the teaching of Jesus in the, in the character of this well-known parable, uh, the parable of the sower, we often call it. Um, this is a well-known parable recorded by Mark for us, along with the explanation of what this parable means. Um, and there's much that could be said about this parable. Any of you who have been Christians for any length of time have probably heard a number of sermons on this parable, have probably studied this parable any number of times. Uh, maybe, maybe even if I had just read what the parable was and asked you to explain it without having given it much thought, you could have come and said, well, here's what the parable represents because you've heard it so often. Uh, But what we want to do particularly this morning is look at this parable in connection with how it functions in the book of Mark. Why this parable comes here in this section of the book of Mark. How it's connected to the things that have come before and how it opens out the things that are going to come after it. Uh, Because many times we've heard about this parable sort of in isolation, but now we have the opportunity to come to it as it it comes through the, the course of preaching through this book and to really see how this connects with the other things that Jesus has been talking about. Uh, This parable comes in that context as a key to what Jesus has been saying about the coming kingdom of God. That's really what this parable is about. The coming kingdom of God and how it's coming in in Jesus and what he preaches and how that word has had an effect in this book so far as a way of understanding the growth parables that come after this parable. So there's something centrally important to this parable coming where it does in this book to teach us about the coming of the kingdom, to teach us first about the realities of the kingdom, and then to teach us about the nature of the revelation of the kingdom, and then finally to talk about the reception of the kingdom. That's how we want to think about this this chapter together, uh, this particular portion of chapter 4 together, to think about the realities of the kingdom, the revelation of the kingdom, and the reception of the kingdom. And that's how we're going to look at this passage together. First, to think about the realities of the kingdom that are taught uh, through this particular portion of what God teaches his people. Uh, We find at the beginning of this chapter, Mark setting the scene for us of Jesus teaching this crowd. And Mark gives us more detail here than we're used to him giving. Mark usually is very sparse in the details he gives. Oftentimes it would be enough for him to say, Jesus was teaching beside the sea. Right? That's the kind of description we've gotten used to from Mark. He, he is pretty sparse in the details and he wants to get right to what he wants to talk about. This is a little unusual in that he gives us a lot of detail. 
Uh, Jesus was teaching by the sea. Jesus got into a boat and sat down. That was the posture of teaching in that day. And the people are on the shore beside the sea listening to him. And this might all sound strange to us if we'd not been prepared for this already at the beginning of, verse, at the beginning of chapter 3. What happened at the beginning of chapter 3? Jesus had told his disciples to prepare a boat for him so that he would have a kind of pulpit to retreat to if the crowd crushed in on him too much. Um, because they were coming to touch him because everyone who was touched was healed. And so this is, a, this is a reminder to us. Jesus had to retreat to this boat sort of as his pulpit to keep from being crushed by this very large crowd that has come to him. And so in laying out these details, what is Mark doing? He's forcing us to hearken back to the beginning of chapter 3. You can hearken back with me. Um, It's something we can do. It's not a word we use much, but hearken with me back to the beginning of chapter 3, where we saw Jesus making these preparations. I think this is Mark's way of saying, think back to the beginning of chapter 3 and think about what's happened since then. Uh, Think about how there was this great crowd that came to be taught by Jesus, that came to be released of demons, came to be healed so that people who just touched him were healed. People who just saw him had demons driven out. The great power that he showed and how he had chosen 12 disciples to follow him. And we've seen this inner circle of people who with the 12 were gathered around him to hear his teaching. And how we'd also heard of his family coming, trying to bring him home because they thought he was out of his mind. And scribes coming to tell the people that he was demon-possessed and doing what he was doing by the power of Satan. Mark is bringing all of this, I think, back to our minds so that we have all of this in our minds as we come to the parables that Jesus begins to teach. This is coming in the context of everything that's happened before. The reality of the kingdom has been unfolding before us before we even get to a parable about the coming kingdom. And it's in the light of this teaching as Jesus sits down to teach that we're told that he taught many things in parables. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled over how do you define a parable? Um, It's a word with a very flexible definition. Um, When Jesus confronted the scribes about their lies about him being demon-possessed in chapter 3, he came to them in a parable and said, can a kingdom divided against itself stand? Um, Parable can be a kind of wisdom saying. Parable can be a kind of picture. One person said you can almost think about it like a political cartoon. Um, There's a picture that you see and it means something. It's meant to teach you something. That's kind of how parables are. It's a very flexible kind of meaning. So to really understand what what, what we mean here by parable, we have to look at what Jesus says here. He uses a picture both to teach and to veil realities about the kingdom of God. For some, this is going to make it very clear what the coming kingdom is like. Others are going to be left completely confused about what this is teaching. But what the parable means to focus our attention on is on the coming kingdom of God. It's right to call this parable the parable of the sower. That's where the focus, that's where the emphasis of this parable falls. The emphasis of the parable is on the central act of the sower. 
The sower who has come to sow the seed of the word in the world. Um, That is a picture of Jesus who comes to sow the seeds of the kingdom into this world. He's come to bring the kingdom to bear on this world. That's what the sower does. He comes to bring the seed to bear on the places in which he plants it. And that's really what this parable is about. The kingdom is being brought to bear on the world. And how is the sower bringing it to bear on the world? By sowing the seed which is the word. Someone said the kingdom of God breaks into the world even as the seed which is sown upon the ground. It's a wonderful way to think of the kingdom generally. Here is the world lying in its way. And here comes the sower who begins to throw seed on the world. That's the, that's the coming of the kingdom breaking in onto this world. Uh, and the particular seed that's sown is the word of that kingdom. Right? We always have to come back to remind ourselves that was the fundamental thing that Jesus came preaching. Uh, the, the, the word that was communicated to us in Mark 14 and 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of God. That was the word of the kingdom that was being sown in the world. The good news concerning the fact that the time of the old ways are fulfilled. The old time is over. The new time of the coming of the kingdom has come. And it's time to be ready for it by repentance and faith in Christ who has come to bring in his kingdom. The kingdom is coming and we have to be ready There's something important here about the reality of the coming kingdom of God. And there's something fundamental and foundational about this parable. There's something foundational in in this parable for understanding the parables that will follow. But that's why Jesus says what he says. He's teaching many things in parables. And he tells his disciples in verse 13, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? There's something foundational to this parable. There's something fundamental. There's something fundamental about this one that will help open out the other ones that are coming about the kingdom of God. And so it's important that we understand the realities. Someone said this parable furnishes a starting point and a ground for understanding all the parables of growth that follow. So the realities of the kingdom are pictured to us here in a very fundamental way in a way that we have to pay attention to, that we have to understand. The realities of the kingdom are being pictured to us. And what is the reality that's really being pictured to us? The fundamental nature of the revelation of the coming kingdom. Right? That's that's really what this, this, this parable is about. First about the realities of the kingdom and how the revelation of the kingdom is being portrayed to us in this parable. Because everyone who hears it is called to hear. Right? Uh, What does Jesus say before he begins the parable in verse 3? Listen. Right? Listen. It's important that people hear what's going to be said. He starts by saying, listen, and how does he end in verse 9? He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. It's important to hear what Jesus is saying about the coming kingdom. It's important to hear the gospel. 
But the reality is when that word comes, there are people who hear it, but don't hear it. There are people who see it, but don't see it. And there are people who hear it and hear it. And people who see it and see it. And that's the effect that the revelation of the kingdom has. Right? It's always striking to me that there were people who heard what Jesus was saying and didn't listen to him. It's, it's, kind, of a, it's a kind of comfort to a preacher to know that if they don't listen to you, they didn't listen to Jesus either. Um, but that there were people who did listen as well. But it's amazing that, to think that he made it so clear Not just in what he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That's as clear as it gets. And if people didn't understand how clear it was, he showed them about what it means that the kingdom is coming. Because if you were lame and you came to Jesus, he could make you walk. And if you're under the the grip of a demon, he could set you free. If you were blind, he could make you see. If you were dead, he could bring you back. He showed what it means that the kingdom is breaking in on this present evil age. He showed what it meant that the kingdom was coming. But some people hear that, and yet it remains a mystery to them. They see, but they don't see. And they hear, but they don't hear. There are those for whom the kingdom of God remains a mystery. For those who are outside of fellowship with Christ. And that's really his point in this parable. That the the word of the kingdom, the revelation of the kingdom, in all of its clarity, when it comes to outsiders, they don't get it. It doesn't make things clear to them. It actually veils things for them. It actually blinds them to the truth. And that's what Jesus has been teaching us as he's gone along in the book of Mark. There are those on the outside who have no part in the kingdom, who don't understand what he's doing or what he's saying, who are outside of fellowship with him. That was one of the themes that really dominated chapter 3, insiders and outsiders, right? People who came to Jesus and wanted to be near Jesus, who sought him seeking true things, the twelve who were set aside by him, the circle of people with the twelve who were gathered around him. That inside-outside picture is nowhere more clear than when Jesus is inside with his twelve and the circle of his disciples, and outside are his family saying, bring him out so that we can take him home, he's out of his mind. What chapter 3 did over and over again was say there are those who are inside who listen, who seek to follow, who seek to know Him and see in Him the reality of the kingdom breaking in. And there are those outside who don't get it, who don't see it. Like His family who are opposed to Him and want to bring Him home, thinking He's out of His mind. The scribes who are against Him, who saying, saying He's demon-possessed and that the devil has a hold of Him. That's their explanation for all that He's doing. It's the nature of what the word of the kingdom does in the world. For some people, it makes it so clear who he is. They see so clearly who Jesus is and what he's doing. And some can't see it at all. 
And as long as people remain outside, they have no ability to understand. It really shuts the kingdom against them. But there are those also who are insiders, who when they hear Jesus, they hear. They hear a teaching with authority. They hear one who speaks for his Father in heaven. They hear one who taught like no one ever taught. They hear a truth and they follow him. Always amazed me about the call of the disciples. They just says follow and they drop what they're doing and they follow. They've heard something when he calls. They've seen something in him that's opened out to them when he speaks. And that's the glory of what Jesus says to his disciples in this passage. To you has been given to understand the secret. To you has been given to understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. To have it so that these things don't remain unintelligible parables to you. But that you understand what they mean. The mystery is revealed. The secret is understood. And what is the secret that they've been given to understand that other people don't understand? That the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That God is fulfilling everything he promised through the coming of his son. That's that's what it means to be given the secret. To understand who Jesus is and what his work represents. To see the truth of what God is doing in the world. That he's doing something new in his son. Um, And that something new centers on the person and work of this one who's come. That's what it means to understand the kingdom of God. But what it means is that Christ's word is making a division in the world. It's dividing between the people who see and the people who can't see. It's dividing between the people who know the secret and the people who still can't see the secret, to whom it remains a mystery. Those who are inside with him and those who are outside. And what we need to clearly say as we say this is, it doesn't mean that if you're outside, you'll always remain outside. So long as you are outside, you can't see it. Maybe some of you can testify to that, that there were times in your life where you stood outside of the secret, it had not yet been given to you, and you looked at this and said, I can't, under, I can't understand why people give their life to this. I, I mean, I get, I get what they're thinking, but I just can't, I can't see what they see. Why this holds any appeal. I mean, don't you know there are football games going on right now? Why would I want to be here? Right? Those kinds of, I just can't see what they see. And maybe you remember distinctly when that flipped. When all of a sudden the thing that was a mystery to you became so clear that you couldn't not see it. There is always hope that those who are outside may come inside. But as long as they remain outside, but until it has been given to them to know the secret of the kingdom, they remain outside. It should give us hope that that same mother who sent who said, go pick up Jesus because I think he's out of his mind. By everything we know came later to say, he's Lord and Christ. That same brother who went to go pick him up, one of the brothers who said, we better go get him, he's out of his mind. 
One of those brothers later wrote the book of James. Right? It doesn't mean if you're outside, you'll always be outside. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who came to confess Christ. Joseph of Arimathea was a scribe or an elder in the Sanhedrin who came to confess Christ. It doesn't mean people are outside, always remain outside. But until it's given to you to know the secret, until it's given to you to know the mystery, you remain outside. That's, That's what makes all the difference. It's the grace of God at work in our hearts. What makes all the difference? It's being given to know the secret. Maybe when, if you remember that a particular moment you came to Christ, you understood something you hadn't seen before. And you can say that was the moment the secret became known. Where I saw Jesus for who he is. And I heard his word for what it was. And that light that I couldn't see because I was blind suddenly came flooding in. To any of us who know Jesus and know what he's done, who understand the significance of him dying for us on the cross to pay for our sins, coming to life again for our justification, reigning at the right hand of his Father in heaven, ruling us by his word and spirit, defending us and preserving us in the salvation he's won for us. The only way you come to know that is because it's been given to you by God. He's given eyes to see. And he's given ears to hear. In a sense, Jesus is saying nothing new about the way the word works in the world, by the way the revelation of the kingdom has always operated in the world. He says this fulfills what was said to Isaiah. Right, that quotation there is from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Um, and he says... To you, everything has been given, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to the, for those outside, everything is in parables so that, it, meaning to fulfill what God said to Isaiah, that they may see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Um, this was what happened in Isaiah's day. And it wasn't because Isaiah wasn't clear. In fact, if you read through the book of Isaiah, there are times at which people said, Isaiah, why, do you, why are you so simple? Don't you realize that we are a sophisticated people? We need more than just this. The message is so simple. It's so clear. We're a sophisticated people. We need something more complicated than just this. I like what one person said. Isaiah saw, taught with such simplicity and clarity that the sophisticated of his day scorned him as fit only to conduct a kindergarten. Why, why are these things veiled? It's not because they're not simple enough. A child can understand Jesus loves you and died for your sins. Boys and girls, I hope you all know that. That Jesus loves you and that Jesus died for your sins. To deliver you. To save you. Because he loves you. It doesn't get any more simple than that, right? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That that doesn't get any simpler. It's not because it's not simple that people don't get it. It's not because Isaiah wasn't simple that people couldn't understand him. 
And Jesus is saying, this is being fulfilled in our day. It's not a darkness that comes from an absence of the word. It's trouble that's caused by too much light. Like what one scholar said about Isaiah, explaining people's blindness in Isaiah's day. He said, it was not darkness and a famine of hearing the word of God that would destroy the nation. It was light, too much light. It was this very light which would blind the people. What does the writer of Hebrews say? There's never been more light that's come into the world than came into the world when Jesus began to reveal the kingdom of God. In the former days, God spoke through his prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken through his son. There's no better person to communicate the light and the brightness of that kingdom. He is the true light that gives light to men who came into the world. He is the revelation of the glory of the Father. He is the exact imprint of his nature. When he was saying these things sitting in a boat, he was upholding the whole world by his power. And people heard him talking about the kingdom in a way that no one could talk about it. And they didn't see it. It wasn't a lack of light. It was too much light. It was so bright that it blinded them. And it's a calling on all of us not to fail to listen. Right? It's always... It's always Easy to put yourself in the position of Christians in the passage and always say, yeah, why are those people so dumb? Why don't they listen? Why don't they see the things that are so clearly seen? But it's a warning to all of us who clearly get the word taught to us all the time, who clearly hear, who clearly see, not to miss what we hear. That when Jesus speaks to us of the need to repent and believe, the need to trust in his finished work for our salvation, that we don't fail to hear. And the serious nature of that is because the light continues to come to people, continues to come to people in this world that hear the truth, who continue to hear about who Jesus is and don't listen. And there may come a time when it's the last time you see the light, the last time you hear the truth. And if you continue to harden yourself against it and harden yourself against it, the opportunity to come may pass you by. And when that happens, we won't necessarily notice it. It's something that's known to God. But there are people who've been shown the truth and shown the truth and shown the truth. And the time might come in God's sovereign direction that that's the last time they get a chance to hear. That's the last time the light comes to them. And they miss the opportunity. One person put it, the next rejection will prove to be the point at which the heart is hardened beyond recovery. The human eye cannot see this point in advance. It comes and goes unnoticed. But the all-sovereign God both knows it and appoints it as he presides in perfect justice. Jesus is the last and best revelation of his kingdom. And all who hear the truth of the gospel are called not to miss it. And that's what the parable is really about, all the people who receive the kingdom. It's the reception of the kingdom and how people receive it. And really, it's just telling us the truth of everything we've seen in the passage so far. 
How is the gospel received by people in this world? It's in two fundamental ways. Those who receive it and in whom it bears fruit, and those who receive it and in whom it is fruitless. It bears no fruit. And for the people who are fruitless, they are of three kinds of people. They are first those who are in the grip of the devil. Right, The birds who snatch away the seed on the path, what are they a picture of? They're the people, of the, 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 the people who, in whom Satan devours the word before it can take root. There are those who are in the grip of the devil. The devil who tempted Jesus in the wilderness. The devil who is at work in the demons that are possessing people. The devil Jesus was accused of being possessed by in the former chapter. The strong man who has people slaves as his own possessions. They are his goods. And the reality is there are people who are in the grip of the devil and when the word comes to them, they so belong to the devil that they never think about it. It in a sense bounces off them without making any effect. The devil snatches it right away from them. Second, there are those who are in the grip of the world, right? who are so in the clutches of the world that when the word comes to them, it cannot bear fruit because their love is really for the world. That's the people that are in the rocky soil that have no root that bears up. What is it that shows they have no root? It's the suffering and the tribulation, the persecution for the sake of the kingdom that reveals who they are. And there are many people who are like that following Jesus, who loved his popularity, who loved his miracles, who loved his healing and his exorcisms, who loved that part of his ministry. But when it would come to be revealed that people hate him and are trying to kill him, and that they may hate and want to kill everybody who's with him, then people say, well, I, I signed up for the good part, not the bad part. I signed up for the popularity and the power not for this tribulation and persecution. That's too much for me. Um, I really, I love the world more than that. I'm not interested in going through all that for the kingdom. The kingdom of God is, in this world, a wilderness existence. And there are people who say, I, I just, I don't want to pay that cost. I don't want to sign up for a wilderness existence. They're in the grip of the world. They have no patience for that. And finally, the fruitless are those who are in the grip of the flesh. The thorns that grow up and choke them out. What are they? The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things that enter in and choke out the world. The kingdom of God requires people to be a forward-looking people to be a future-oriented people. We saw that last week when we talked about the Lord's Supper. It calls us to look for the Lord who's coming and to live in the light of that future, to find all the, 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 the gravity of our existence being in that future life with God and people who are so in the grip of this world, the desires of this world, the deceit of riches, the cares for other things. It doesn't matter what they are. What will they do? They will choke out any thought of the world to come. Make us so focused on this world and make this present evil age its goal. Um, that, that word that we have translated cares of the world could be translated cares of the age. 
That, that word age is often translated for this present evil age. There are so, those who are so in grip of this evil age, they can't think about the age to come. It's only this world that they're focused on, and that will choke out any thought of the world to come. That's what's going on there. And so, it's all the things we've seen before. The people who, in, this, in, this passage, in these passages, have been in the grip of the devil, in the grip of the world, in the grip of the flesh. The, world, the word will not bear any fruit in their lives. So who are the people that are fruitful? There are, there are three fruitless people, there are three fruitful people. The three fruitful people are 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. What makes them different? Why are they fruitful? Why are they good soil? Because they're not in the grip of the devil, the world, or the flesh. They're in the grip of the king. These parables frighten us because we know how easily we could be any of the three fruitless grounds that were just described. We know how powerless we are against the devil and against the world and against the flesh. The Heidelberg Catechism, if we don't know it, reminds us of that in question 127. We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment, and our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. We cannot save ourselves from our enemies. Who can save us from these enemies? It's only the king of the kingdom. And here's the good news. When the devil tempted him, he overcame the temptation. And when the devil showed himself to be strong, he bound him and plundered what was his. And when the devil tried to raise himself against the Lord and kill the Lord of life, he threw him down. And he has bound him and he's coming again to destroy him. He's mightier than the devil. And he's mightier than the world. That when the world afflicted him with suffering and tribulation, he set his eyes on the world to come. He defeated the world and all that had afflicted him and was triumphant, has been raised from the dead and has ascended and rules at the right hand of his father. And when he was faced with all of the desires of the flesh, everything that would tempt him to put his mind on this world, he looked beyond this world to the joy that was set before him. And because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised its shame, and he's entered into his glory. And what that testifies to us is we are powerless against these enemies. And any one of them would have the power over us to render us fruitless if we were not in the grip of the king. But the good news is we are in the one who overcame the devil and the world and the flesh. And that Christ in us is the hope of glory. How are we ever going to be good soil it's the same way we're only ever going to know the secret of the kingdom of God, by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that makes us know the Lord, and it's the grace of God that makes the Lord's work fruitful in us. So that some of us bear 30-fold fruit, which is great, or 60-fold fruit, which is even greater, and 100-fold fruit, which is beyond imagining, even for the best of farmers. It's the Lord who does that. 
It's the Lord who does it by his grace. And when will that fruit really be seen when the Lord comes again in glory and brings in the harvest? That's when we will see clearly just how fruitful the Lord has been in his people. And this really is what the coming kingdom of God is all about. To show us and to call us to hear. And to hear what we're told about Jesus Christ and to respond as he's called us by repentance and faith, knowing that he who began a good work in us will not fail to complete it on the day of the Lord Jesus to the glory of his Father. May everyone hear, hear, and be given ears to hear, repent and believe, and live and bear much fruit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed to us the kingdom and its mystery, shown us the kingdom and its glories in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you please open every eye here to see it and every ear here to hear it. And in those who have, of us here who've seen and heard, may we never forget to rejoice in the glories and the grace that you've given to us to see and to know and that we in Christ might be those who bear much fruit. May we thank you always for opening our ears to hear and our eyes to see Jesus, so that by believing in him we would have life in his name. And hear us for we pray in his name. Amen.